comes from the second chapter of the Gospel of John. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding, and when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to them, Fill these jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. Chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. And Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. May God bless this reading. Well, I had this um, New Testament professor when I was in divinity school named A.J. Levine. Um, and she taught our introduction to New Testament, which some people thought was a little bit ironic because A.J. is actually Jewish. Um, but she would point out that so was Jesus. But in one of her classes, we were talking about the appearance of Jesus, and she mentioned that she was pretty sure that Jesus was short and fat. And she said this because everybody was short back then, so he probably would have been under five feet tall, and fat because all he does is eat. If you follow Jesus in the Gospels, he goes from place to place to place, and he's eating constantly. Of course, he also walks a lot, so maybe that balances some of it out. And if you're technically the same height as everyone else, then maybe you're not really short. But the point stands. A lot of the gospel takes place around tables, around meals, or at social gatherings, or like today, at a wedding. And Jesus, he, he's never very far from the festivities. For several decades now, there's been an evangelical pastor in Pennsylvania named Tony Campolo who has been repeating the same basic message. The kingdom of God, he says, is a party. And I mean, he repeats this message over and over. He has a book about it. He's preached the same sermon for about 30 years. The kingdom of God is a party. And by that, he means that when we think about the kingdom of God, about that which God is doing both in our world and in the age to come, and about the ministry of Jesus, we should think about a celebration, a feast, a time in which the fullness of God, the fullness of life as God has intended it, that that is made manifest and that everybody celebrates. And so Campolo says this is how the Bible describes the kingdom, a party, a wedding, a gathering of celebration, and of course there is always plenty of wine, the best saved for last. And so today with this image of a wedding feast from our reading in John, I want to ask you, I want to inquire, 
when you imagine what the kingdom of God is like, when you think about God's future, the age to come, what do you see? Because how we imagine the kingdom of God, that which Jesus comes to bring into existence, that is inevitably how we understand God's work. And how we understand God's work in the world is how we seek to follow Jesus. And so if you close your eyes and you think of the kingdom, do you see a party? Well, the wedding at Cana, this passage that we read, is the first of Jesus' signs. A sign is something that is unique to John's gospel. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three gospels, Jesus performs lots of miracles and healings and does lots of wonderful things. And often in those first three Gospels, these miracles are meant to to tell you that Jesus is someone you should trust. He's a person with great power. He should be listened to. But in John, all of these miracles, they play a different role. And John calls them signs. He's the only Gospel that refers to them as signs. They are intended not simply to express Jesus' power, to tell you that Jesus is someone important, but they are meant to elucidate something about the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus is ushering into being, about the kingdom that is coming. And another difference between the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the Gospel of John, is that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a sense that the kingdom that Jesus is talking about is to come. It is in the age to come, and Jesus points to it and says, someday this will be made reality. John is a little bit different. You see, the beginning of John presents Jesus in a little bit loftier of language. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So for John, Jesus' coming is not just to talk about the age that is to come, but rather Jesus is the age to come. His body represents the coming of the kingdom. Its fulfillment might be off in the future still, but in Jesus' presence, in the presence of Christ, it is here now as well. Even if just in little glimpses or signs of its coming. And so today in our reading, at a wedding feast in a small Galilean outpost called Cana, Jesus performs the first of his signs. A miracle meant to represent the nature of his kingdom, which is emerging, which is here and yet not here yet. And so what is this kingdom like? Well, my professor, Dr. Levine, would say, The kingdom of God is like a party where the wine never runs out. And so I ask again, how do we imagine the kingdom? What is it like? What's going on there? And we can ask, what does it have to do with the church or with Christianity? You see, the church has a bad rap. I don't know if you knew this. 
the church has this reputation that we are a little bit dry, that we're a little bland at times. It's, the reputation is that we are more about sitting still, about blending in. It has become for many a place of uniformity. Not necessarily this church, but church in general. Well, about a year ago, uh, a movie came out based on one of my favorite books from childhood, A Wrinkle in Time. Uh, in, at one point in time in this movie, uh, Meg, the main character, and her brother Charles Wallace and their friend Calvin travel across the universe to a planet called Kamazots, the world where it lives. When they finally arrive on the surface of the planet, what they are greeted with frightens them. smell food, like good roasted food. I'm also starving. You know, I never picked up on it as a kid. But when I reread the books last year, in anticipation of the movie coming out, I was struck by Madeline Langle's heavy insistence that the scariest force in the universe is the one that makes everything exactly the same. Indeed, it, as it is called, seems to force everything and everyone into pretty neat interchangeable forms. Everything becomes uniform, and it all becomes perfect and synchronized and kind of weird. In the world, it does make the planet at least seem safer, and things do get done. But in the meantime, as a result of this sameness, everything is, 
well, kind of boring and lifeless. And you can hear Charles Wallace in that video say, I can't stand the rhythm, the sound. And so when we are thinking about what God's kingdom is about and what it looks like and what it sounds like, when we think about the church's role in that, we have to be careful not to think that our role is to make everything the same or to make it all uniform or to make it all sound a certain way. The kingdom of God is not about uniformity or about pretending like we're all the same or about making sure everyone is quiet and in their place. The first thing Jesus does in John's gospel is participate in a huge, loud, raucous party. And just to add some to it, weddings today in the Mediterranean world last two and three and four days. So we're not talking about a two or three hour soiree here. It is a party, a days-long event in which the best wine is saved for last. With this image that Jesus uses, this sign of God's coming kingdom, Jesus does not invent something new. This imagery is present throughout all of the Hebrew Bible. Throughout all of the history of Israel, there are these prophetic images my favorite, which I'm going to read for you today, comes from the book of Isaiah. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills, and all the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This image of the mountaintop, of this feast that all people are being called to. And so Jesus' first sign is not to reinvent what the kingdom of God is, but rather just to repeat the same message from God that in the age to come, all people will gather in one place. All nations shall gather together. This is part of the whole scripture. The kingdom of God, which is to come, will be a place for all people. And once they're there, it's a party. It's a celebration. It's a feast. And so as people of the church, as followers of Christ, let's not forget the kingdom that is to come. Let's not forget the celebration, the coming together. Let us not forget the feast. And let us be people filled with the festive energy, a people ready to lift up and celebrate together, welcoming all people without judgment without expecting them to blend in and be the same. A place with people from diverse backgrounds, races, ethnicities, nationalities. Let us celebrate together. Because the kingdom of God is like a feast held on a mountaintop. Or it is like a wedding 
where the best wine is saved to last. Amen.